Gentlemen, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank so, you. Um, I've really been looking forward to this discussion. Um, you know, as Bitcoin, we're all Bitcoiners here. We always uh, keep a close eye on what's going on globally, economically, monetarily, um, in the investment landscape and the macro landscape. And obviously, there's um, you know, each of your respective countries have been in the news lately. Um, you know, maybe not necessarily the type of uh, press that uh, you know you're you're happy to receive, but. Um, you know, inflation is something that's coming for everybody around the world on a fiat standard. I think we're all in agreement that that is inevitable. And uh, it's just a matter of when. And of course, in that dynamic, some will be affected sooner than others. And that's why we're here as Bitcoiners. Uh, we think that a better monetary system and standard is now available to people. And uh, it's incumbent on everybody if they wish to protect themselves, to learn about that and learn how to engage in it and obviously to use it to protect their wealth uh, and the wealth of their family and loved ones. And so um, I wanted to put this discussion together today uh, to get some insight into people or countries and systems rather that may be further, uh, you know, brought forward on the timeline you know, and maybe that will give us some insight into how these things unfold, some of the repercussions when they, we, they do unfold, what life is like uh, in some of these systems and how each of you are using Bitcoin to, um, you know, protect yourselves and, and any uh, uh, loved ones or family. So um, I guess brief introductions. I know some of you want to maintain some anonymity, so only share as much as you like. But uh, Thomas, uh, why don't we start it off with you, just kind of uh, where you are, who you are, and your Bitcoin, uh, a brief Bitcoin background. All right. Uh, my name is Thomas Saman. Uh, I'm from Lebanon. Um, I'm currently living in the, in the rural part of Lebanon, but right now I'm in Beirut. I just finished work, so I stayed here. Uh, you know, I started, uh, I, I first uh, knew about Bitcoin back in late 2016. Uh, from university, from a guy like most of you probably know him. Uh, he's called Saifuddin, Saifuddin Amos. Um, he used to be my professor at university. So during your classes, you used to talk about, uh, you know, he used to drift off of the curriculum and talk about Austrian economics and, you know, Bitcoin stuff and all of that and how much uh, it would, you know, you know, it would destroy the entire syllabus, you know, occasionally. Uh, and, you know, this is how I, I first got into it. But I, I made my first Bitcoin purchase, maybe it was like 2017, during the bull market. Uh, and ever since, you know, I've, I fell down the rabbit hole. And, you know, now I'm here talking about it with you guys. And, you know, we, you know after what, all that happened in Lebanon, it sounds like a really smart idea to, you know, buy Bitcoin. So... Yeah, that's that's how I got into it, and that's like you know a brief introduction about myself. Nice, Daniel. Uh, well, I'm actually I live in Argentina, but I'm actually Brazilian, and that is how I got uh, to in contact with Bitcoin because I moved to Argentina in 2010, but I working remotely to some company in in Brazil. And uh, I had to get my money from from Brazil to 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 Argentina, and all the bank process was very. You had to 
it's very uh, uh, how can I say uh, it's it, too too many there, there's too many blocks and the way I found I started learning about Bitcoin and that's the way I found to get my money from Brazil to to Argentina that was about 2013 and then I saw the whole 2017 bull market and something called like snap and I said one I have to participate in this market because uh, it's 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 really really what a, a different uh, it's a way of getting my money safe and that's where we went from nice Zia hey there I'm Zia I'm I live in Iran. I I've started uh, learning about Bitcoin late 2016 and uh, early 2017. I've I've uh, I I I'm good with computer stuff with hardware computer and uh, a friend asked me if he if he can join uh, multiple uh, processors to start. Uh, to start mining and i was very curious about <laughs> what is this mining thing and he actually wanted to uh build the mining rig with the gpus and all of that so i i started learning about bitcoin when i uh, built this uh this mining rig for him and then uh so i i come from a english literature background and uh, I've studied about philosophy and uh, literary criticism and all of that. So uh, it was very interesting to me the 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 economic and the the power relations and the uh, mostly humanistic studies about Bitcoin. So I started reading about it and I was down the rabbit hole. And uh, since I was good with computer stuff too, so I started learning about the network, about the things. I, I actually was very interested in what was happening in early 2017 up to the first uh, of August. The hard fork, uh, actually the soft fork, actually, yeah, with the user-activated soft fork stuff. So I I got interested in Bitcoin and I started actually uh, earning Bitcoin because we live in Iran and Iran. Is, uh, is suffering from a case of inflation for decades now. And uh, I started learning about savings technology, actually, <laughs> which is Bitcoin, by uh, ac accumulating and, uh, and earning. And uh, uh, yeah, th this is the way. This is, I, I, see, I, see a, I see a pattern here. I see people from uh, countries which suffer from inflation seeing bitcoin as a store of value so uh this was the case for me too we also suffer from a very heavy case of censorship here and uh censorship on on the internet level and on the news media and all of that so uh seeing something which is censorship resistant was the, the was was very very up, made me very optimistic about this thing so I thought to myself that if this thing doesn't work in anywhere in the in the world, it will work in Iran because we need it. So that was the goal for me. Nice. Stack more. 
Yeah, well, so uh, I I kind of got lucky, but I was not able to get into Bitcoin as early as I wanted. So initially it was 2011 and I, it was this short period of my life that I was into gaming because my college was over and I literally had nothing to do. I was just waiting to go back to my country. And in that period of time, I started to play this random game. And we had a clan of 100 people and there was this Swedish uh, guy that was like telling all of us like you should get into Bitcoin, it's the new money and this and that. And I listened to him, you know, I don't downloaded the node and all that stuff. And actually there's this computer behind me, it still, still has the node, uh, Bitcoin 0.5.0 and it still syncs today. So that was my kind of turning point i could be very lucky because i would have completely forgotten about it i turned this old computer i know two years ago and checked a couple of wallets and everything was empty but that's how i first initially heard about bitcoin then during 2013 there was the cyprus banking crisis and there was an increase in bitcoin prices then it was in, uh, in my radar again, but then I didn't trust this exchange because it was located in Cyprus and Cyprus com uh, companies are a little sketchy from our side because we know a lot of fraudulent activities that happened over there, blah, blah, blah. And finally, I got my first Bitcoin in two early 2017. Uh, it was a couple of our friends and we were talking how to save, stop, you know, uh, have a good store of value with the uh, shitcoin lira, you know, against the shitcoin lira. And then we started to get Bitcoin and all that stuff. Like also got into stocks at the same time, but lost all my interest in stocks and everything else. It's like Bitcoin now. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I came from a family that's in finance and economics. Like great grandfather was like a minister of finance, the, one of the first ministers of finance of Turkey. My grandfather was the lawyer working for World Bank, but my grandfather opted out also. So he left the World Bank and he started to work on the farm. And yeah, <laughs> and I'm up to that also. Like, you know, Fiat, I have no intention to go back to it. So yeah, that's basically it. Uh, and Stackmore, you made reference to the computer behind you. You're, you know your camera is off, right? I know. I okay, know. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, I keep sure. it closed my eyes. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I'll turn it on and then. No, no, up to you, up to you. No problem. Yes. Yeah, um, well, thanks for the intro, guys. So, Thomas, I'm going to bring it back to you. Um, you know, obviously, it's been an eventful year in, in Lebanon for a number of different reasons and in, in Beirut. Um, what has been, I believe the central bank was, was set ablaze, burned down. Was it the primary central bank or, or just uh, a, a, like a regional one? Um, I believe you're talking about the, you know, the videos that some of that the Bitcoin community uh, got, got the hold of them, right? Uh, there was a like, series of uh, you know, protesters just burning private banks all over the country. Right. Um, 
and you know just uh, you know uh, shattering the glasses and whatever. But there were also some protests uh, next to the central bank, the main central bank in Beirut and Hamra Street. Uh, but these, uh, but they couldn't actually you know go in there and break stuff because there was a lot of security and a lot of you know, right. So yeah, Some, but, someone's got to protect the money printers. <laughs> exactly, they're not like pretend, protecting the actual money because there there's no money. Right. Uh, they're just protecting whatever God knows what. But it was like a, like a cool message that uh, you know the problem is there. It is the banks, uh, but you know just people need to understand how to opt out of this system. Yeah, uh, and a lot of people actually. Uh, you know, we have like this group, it's called uh, Bitcoin du Liban, just like a bank, bank, bank of, bank du Liban is like the central bank of Lebanon. Uh, so we made this uh, like a telegram group called Bitcoin du Liban. Uh, it's a French Bitcoin of Lebanon or bank of Lebanon. Uh, so ever since the protests in 2019, we had like more than tripled people into this group asking stuff about Bitcoin, you know, trying to figure out what, what the hell is this. And, you know, it's, it, it really started to, uh, people started to actually get into it when uh, the, the central bank started the capital controls uh, on the remittances. So what, what happened is that uh, if, you, if you have a relative who's living in France and Canada and America trying to send you some money, uh, the central bank would confiscate more than half of this money. Right, so like they they would send you like let's say one thousand US dollars, uh, they would give you this one thousand US dollars at the rate of three thousand LBP, while the actual rate in the market is like seven thousand and even reached ten thousand. So, and what was the reason that, they gave for doing that? Okay, so they do that because they want to take away your dollars, right, and use these dollars for the subsidies and other things like, you know, the debt and whatever. So ever since the crisis, uh, ever since the Ponzi scheme got, uh, got uncovered, uh, the central bank basically, you know, the banks basically lost all of their money. And, you know, most of the dollars in the economy are now in the central bank. Uh, so in a way, the government was trying, you know, just to shut people up uh, they were trying to uh, subsidize everything from fuel to, uh, you know, bread. Uh, you know, more, most of these so-called essentials. Uh, so, in order to keep these subsidies going, they had to confiscate the dollars. So, one of the ways to do this is, you know, when I send you money, uh, they just take the dollars and give me Lebanese pounds, printed Lebanese pounds instead at an artificial rate, which is not the actual black market rate. So this is when people were like, no, we're not gonna play this game. Uh, we're gonna look at alternatives. Uh, many, many people looked at coins and all of that, but you know, uh, Bitcoin was, was like very interesting and revolutionary kind of thing. So yeah, so people started talking about that more. And I actually wrote about this in an article I made called Bitcoin Adoption in Lebanon. So this, this uh, act by the government, by the central bank, uh, was, was going to be the, the one thing that will set off, you know, the hyper-Bitcoinization of Lebanon. You know, like people finally saw uh, a huge value in Bitcoin. So now they will, 
they will use it. That, that's why they will use it at first. But people, because of this uh, need, if you want to call it, uh, they fell down the rabbit hole and they're just asking questions and getting into our group, uh, asking us, you know, we've been uh, trying to, you know, teach them as much as possible on how to secure their Bitcoin on their wallets. And most of the time, it's just young people like me in their 20s and their 30s sending money because they work abroad, sending money to their parents. So you have to teach someone in like their 50s or their 60s about how to use a Bitcoin wallet and all of that. Uh, so yeah, that's that's what, that's that's the main issue here because you know trying to get you know older people into this this technology because they're the one receiving the remittances uh, from their you know offspring. Sure. And so what what is the you know obviously there's been protests and stuff like that, but how? Is the government explaining the inflation and these practices of, of you know, basically taking the U.S. dollars or having an artificial exchange rate? Uh, how is the government yeah. explaining that? How are they articulating that they're going to get control of the inflation? And you made reference to it briefly, but like kind of the man or woman on the street, um, if they're not familiar with Bitcoin, like are, are, are people trying to protect themselves by going into all sorts of assets like real estate, equities, gold, silver, that kind of stuff? Or as, as you yeah. said, is there starting to be a shift uh, toward looking at Bitcoin specifically? Like what, what, what's the kind of economic, the perception of what's going on by the normal people there? Okay, um, first from you know, the government perspective, uh, they don't really care, like they're just going to take your money, right? And people, that's why people are protesting, you know, they're, they're, things are happening without their consent. But at the same time, they're just, uh, you know, trying to justify it with the subsidies, with the fact that, you know, that we, we have a balance of trade, centralized balance of trade, we need to import uh, things to the country, and we need to give these things to the poor. And, you know, the more people are poor, the more they get poor, poorer, the more um, uh, the government actions become more or less justified, you know what I mean? So uh, just because I'm poor, at least the government is feeding me. That's what they say. But uh, in fact, that's not how you get out of poverty. So that's, that's, that. that's how the government is trying to justify itself. But, you know, the protests are, not, uh, are kind of still ongoing, but they're not as, as, as fierce as they used to be in the beginning of the the protests in general. Mm -hmm. And to answer your second question regarding uh, uh, what are people doing to protect themselves, um, yeah, there's a lot of people who are buying real estate right now. So uh, let's say you had uh, a bank account uh, with deposits in the bank. Uh, naturally, because of the capital controls, you cannot withdraw your money anymore. Uh, so you basically lost them. So what, what's happening is that uh, people are uh, are able to withdraw this money, let's say you have, I don't know, $100,000 in the bank, you can withdraw them at an artificial rate uh, or at, you know, two artificial rates, uh, one uh, at $3,900 per dollar, that's only for one, for one, uh, one time a month, and at a limited $1,000 per month, as an example, each bank has its own rules. And the rest is at the other official rate, which is uh, 1,500 per uh, uh, dollar. So what happened, what's happening is that, uh, let's say I have a land, all right, and I have a lot of debt, and I wanna close that debt, or maybe I lost my job or whatever. I can just sell you my land, 
for a banker's check. So you give me, so you give me uh, your deposits in the bank. So I just bought your deposits and I gave you the land. Uh, and now I can, I can use it through this deposit to simply close off my debt or maybe just use them to you know, live. And that's what uh, you know, a lot of people with big deposits have been trying to do, buying apartments, buying uh, land. And this is the exact reason why you know, the real estate uh, uh, prices haven't gone down at all during this crisis. People are just buying real estate, uh, but at a you know, uh, artificial rate, if you want to call it and using ch bankers' checks and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But no one would actually uh, you know, sell, you know, buy land using dollars because US dollars right now are more uh, useful than uh, real estate in Lebanon. Uh, but you know, as I said before, th the main people who are looking at Bitcoin uh, are those who want to uh, receive money from abroad. Right. Because how else would you would you receive money? Right. If you can't if you can't send if they can't send your money through the bank, they can't send it through OMT. Either way, it will get confiscated. Uh, this is why people are living into Bitcoin and other. I'm not gonna lie, other altcoins as well. But I think uh, you know, uh, Bitcoin is you know the sexier option if you want if you want to call it. Right. Uh, so so I think I think this is how people will. Are, are actually getting into it and trying to adopt this technology uh, more and more. Right. But, you know, this is just some brief what, what people are doing with their money, you know, lost money, if you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, Daniel, what is the, the, the economic landscape looking like right now in Argentina? How have people responded to the issues with the currency over the last number of years? Um, and what is kind of the perception and use of, of Bitcoin over on your side of things? Well, uh, I heard uh, Thomas, and there are many similarities to what what happens here, and uh, and it, 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 I <laughs> I'm I'm kind of rusty in English, but I have to <laughs> get it going. You're good. You're good. Yeah, I see many similarities. Uh, well, Argentina went to hyperinflation in the early '90s, and after that. Uh, the peso was basically pegged to the dollar. So one peso was equal one dollar. It worked really good. It was 10 years that uh, it, it worked. But the government debt got so, uh, so big that one uh, in near 2000, 2001, it became unsustainable and the government uh, basically confiscated all the, the, the US dollar deposits because they had to pay debt, government debt, and devaluated the peso one to four. So you, from one day to the other, you had uh, a fourth of your savings was converted to peso and the dollar were all confiscated. So our, uh, you guys know that in 2001, there was a lot of protests here and people were just ready to burn down all the banks. They went to the streets and banged all the doors and they wanted their deposit back. And uh, that's when it got unpegged from the dollar. Today, the dollar is one peso is equal to 
100, no, I mean, one dollar is equal to 130 pesos. That's, that means uh, 130 fold from, uh, of devaluation. And the government hasn't, hasn't shrink its debt. It's, it keeps on printing money and it keeps on spending. And what we have now here in Argentina is a restriction to buy dollars. You can only buy $200 a month. That's, that's, uh, that's the only amount that you're, permit, that you're permitted right now. And so people started uh, looking for, I, I, from 2019, from the change of government to today, people uh, want to get rid of the peso. They, they don't want, the peso is, is trash money. It's just to pay your, your bills and, and to pay expensive living, pero uh, to save, you have $200 and what else do you do with, with the rest? If you save, you know, because not many people get to save, but if uh, you have money left to save, you try, try start looking for alternatives. And one of the big alternatives that's surging here is Bitcoin, because people already started to understand the economics and how it can't be devaluated, it can't be inflated. And people are really, it's really picking up here. Uh, last year, uh, many, a lot of exchanges surged and you, you start to see a lot of publicity in, in the streets for normal people to stimulating to start buying Bitcoin. And the other, like, like Thomas said, not only Bitcoin, but people have also discovered uh, uh, the stable coins, Tether, uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a way to get into the dollar without uh, the government being able to, to touch your money. So Bitcoin is, is, is really picking up here. And uh, but also, because basically there's a, short, a dollar shortage here in, in, in Argentina and I believe in, in, all, in, in the whole world, there's, there's a dollar shortage because Governments like are getting too big. They need the dollars to pay their debts, and they decided unilaterally that they are going to control who can have or not the dollars. And basically, that's that's what's happening here. Argentinians are big, uh, are, are a big fan. Always have been of saving in dollars, but now that there are so many institutions, I believe that. Bitcoin is picking, picking up. Um, and how, what's the government's approach to uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency transactions, exchanges, etc.? I'm, I'm assuming they wouldn't allow it if they're trying to keep a tight control on capital. For now, they, I think they can't, they haven't found a way to, to limit it because it's, it's not prohibited yet. I don't know if at some point they're going to put restrictions, but for now, uh, exchange work and uh, you can buy Bitcoins without restrictions. For now, I don't know what, what, what the future holds, but. That's interesting. And do you think that there's more interest in stable coins than, than Bitcoin right now? Uh, there, is there is a lot of interest in stable coin because the dollar 
since many decades, it's like people, uh, uh, I, I used to say like, the dollar is like a, uh, it's like the ticket to freedom for once, just like to make an, a, a comparison. Since our fathers, our grandfathers, they always had a dollar like it's, it's, it's safer to save in dollars than to save in the money uh, that the Latin America countries print. Because of inflation and, and, and because the dollar is, is the world reserve currency. And that's like we, 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 there's a big culture in saving in dollars. And are you able to be open about your interest in, in Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies? Or is that kind of a uh, dangerous thing to do? You no, know, I, I, <laughs> I am like, uh, I, I gone down the, the rabbit hole and I talked, I, I used to evangelize a lot more to my friends. You know, you have to buy Bitcoin because it's, 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 it's only 21 million. It can't be inflated. It's not centralized. But uh, people, many the normal people, when they see uh, the, the variation, they get a little suspicious. But I try to explain now. But you have to look at the long term. Long term, in 10 years, look look at what Bitcoin did in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And people are yeah, but, uh, if I bought in 20,000 and now it's worth 3,000 and I lost all my money. It's, it's, it's really, it's kind of, kind of hard to, to get people going, but once they understand, they, 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 they understand. Right. You can't unsee it once you see it. You right? can't, once you see it, you can't unsee yeah. it. And right now, it's it's becoming a big option here because there's too many restrictions on 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 the dollar. Yeah, uh, Zia, can you tell me what's going on in um, Iran economically with the currency? Uh, what the government's response has been, and uh, you know what people. Or to, to the extent people are looking at Bitcoin to try to um, preserve capital and avoid some of the, the damaging effects of, of government monetary policy? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, uh, I should uh, put a disclaimer here. I'm not, a, I'm not uh, very good in economics. So first, uh, I, I should say this. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to tell you about my experience and what's, uh, what I see going on here. Because I see, uh, just like what Daniel said and Thomas said, I see a lot of similarities in what the government does to control this thing, control the inflation thing. They're not trying to control the inflation, actually. They're trying to control what the people think about the inflation. So they, they do all this stuff. They, 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 uh, they blame the black market dealers. Because you, you can, it's, it's more, it's... Uh, it's mostly unofficial and uh, black market status here for uh, buying like a dollar, dirhams, euro, anything. So uh, we have like we have a lot of black markets in Iran because most official markets are are a failure. So this is this is the case. So uh, yeah, they blame the black market dealers. They blame uh, they blame people for buying usd this is, I, I remember such a thing happened also in turkey where 
uh, where the, I don't know what was, what is it called, the prime minister or was, there were people enthusiastic about burning USD. This, this, this happened, happened identically in Iran. So we, we have this thing that they call for people to sell their currency and which is very foolish because it's it's much better it's 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 it makes sense no one is is such a fool to hold something which which is devalued like for uh 2500 times in the last four decades so when when uh, this government uh, so it's it's not like government it's it's much more negative than a government it's it's uh, some kind of a dictatorship and a regime here so when this started, when uh, four decades ago, uh, like uh, the USD was 100 trials. So one USD, 100 trials. Nowadays, it's 250,000 trials, which is, uh, which is multiplied like 2,500 times. So we have it, uh, it, goes multiply, it goes in multiple prices uh, every one or two years. And in, like, see, like, Try to conceive this number two thousand five hundred times. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, the, we have a very bad case of inflation here because, like, in, in the la- in the last six months, uh, like uh, in the last years or so, uh, the the USD has gone up. But more, uh, it's it's like five times the price that it was last year. So, if you wanted uh, to buy an iPhone, if, if you wanted to buy an iPhone. Uh, like you could have bought it like with saving for six months, but now you should save for like maybe four or five years. So look at this, look at this picture. So yeah, this inflation thing was, I can't see, I can't say it's driving Bitcoin here in Iran, but I can, I can say that uh, most people who are holding Bitcoin, they see it as an, investment investment uh like uh for storing the their value because it's not very easy to get your hands on physical cash physical usd cash i mean uh, it's it's much more difficult we have also restrictions on how much usd you can hold here in iran it's about like ten thousand usd so imagine if you have like uh, ten thousand usds you, you're you're doing a crime here so um so people can hold Bitcoin and uh, they can actually uh, maybe try to hide it better and they can hold it in bigger numbers. And it's still not considered as a crime, but they're trying to consider Bitcoin also like USD. And if you hold more than one Bitcoin and uh, right now, which is about $10,000, uh, it would be like a crime also to uh, in the future, maybe, I don't know. Uh, so uh, most most people right now are using Bitcoin for uh, like uh, they they're storing their value in Bitcoin, uh, and some people just like other countries, they try to use it for trading and doing like they 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 want to get money out of Bitcoin. So this is this is normal, but but the people who are using it uh, like the genuine purpose would be. Those who are doing remittance right uh, nowadays with Bitcoin, uh, people are using it to, to store their value. People are using it to buy digital digital goods. Like I'm using a VPN right now, just to I, I told you before the show starts. 
I told you that I'm using a VPN and I couldn't buy Bitcoin, buy a VPN if I didn't have Bitcoin. So I bought this VPN from like a US company actually. So to use just just to get connected to the world. So people are using it for digital goods. Uh, physical goods are blocked and limited because most countries don't send us physical goods, but we are in dire needs of physical goods because uh, because of this uh, terrible situation with the economy here and the closed economy, uh, we can't import stuff here in, in Iran. And if we import them, the limited people, which are government people mostly, who import stuff here, like import a mobile phone, a, a monitor, or anything, uh, they, they sell it for triple the time, triple the price. So you see, you see what's happening. So you're in a shitty... Uh, economy and also you are you have to deal with these prices which are unfair and cruel uh, like uh, you can get a monitor for 100 dollars in the u.s but you should get the same monitor for 300 dollars here so you see this we are in dire need of importing physical goods with bitcoin if, if there are businesses which send us uh, this this could be a, a very good use case too I, I know that this can trigger a lot of people on your own because we need to uh, somehow circumvent this thing where, where uh, most uh, stuff here, imported stuff are very expensive. Yeah, so um, the government is not uh, uh, handling this thing very good with, with the inflation. And uh, it, it, right like uh, two years ago when, when a new surge of inflation with the, with the USD price and all of that started, uh, the government tried to deny this thing. Like they denied that something is like the USD price is going up. They said that it's about like 40,000 reals. And uh, no, the, the pe people are like lying. Like people in the market are lying that this price is going up. And they, they carried on with this lie to this day. Like if you Google, you, uh, Iranian real, I, 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 I advise you to do this. Google Iranian real price to USD. It would be like 42,000 or something like this, 42,000 reals. But it's actually 250,000 because the 42,000 price is actually announced by the government. And you see this foolish thing, which the government denies this thing and is still denying it. Uh, right now, they uh, like this year, they, they're not emphasizing on the on, on that, uh, like the imaginary price, but uh, they still haven't uh, deleted this thing. <laughs> it's it's in the central bank website that it says it's it's this price. So it's 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 a very very messed up situation where the government is trying to actually somehow enforce people into uh, keeping with this economy. They are very afraid of capital outflow which they should be because uh, because they're the, the holding your capital in, in the national currency is a stupid idea like uh most people nowadays know this like if i if i would if i was asked if, I, if you were asking like a 50 year old boy he would tell you that it's a stupid idea because if you ask my grandfather which is about like 75 years old uh how you need to like use whatsapp or I don't know, Telegram or something, he tells you that you should do this thing, which goes green. He calls it goes green, which is a VPN, actually. So even a 75-year-old 
person here knows what's a VPN. So mm -hmm. see this. So you can't fool people anymore. Yeah. And, and just so the people. Yeah. Just the last question on that was in terms of scale, how many people like, I know you don't know exactly how many, but is, is there a sense that more and more people are, are looking at, at Bitcoin as a store of value, as something that allows them to uh, evade capital controls, or is this still very, very, very niche? Yeah, it's, it's, it, I can say that it was very niche in 2017. Right now, I see a lot of people uh, who consider Bitcoin like USD and gold to hold their value. Like uh, Daniel told uh, told us about a friend who said, like, uh, I bought Bitcoin in twenty thousand uh, dollars. Right now it's three thousand dollars, and I lost all my, all my money. If you did that in Iran, you wouldn't have lost your money because, like, when it was twenty thousand dollars in two thousand seventeen, it was about uh, one uh, one billion reals. So, uh, and right now it's about like three billion reals. Wow. So you see, it's $10,000 right now, but you are like... Oh, uh, I, I, I yeah. guess the peso uh, here, uh, they didn't lose their money. I guess, not I guess the peso, but I guess the dollar, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, 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 you see that it's, uh, people right now are uh, like, uh, uh, like most, uh, I told you that it's mostly in black market area. So people who use uh, people who use uh, like gold or who buy gold or usd nowadays they see that telegram channels these black market uh, places marketplaces they see telegram channels and uh, they see websites which like announce the price of bitcoin alongside with usd with gold and yeah so it's, I'm seeing this momentum, but I can't tell you numbers because it's, Iran is like a black hole with, regards, with stats and statistics and all of that. Because, you know, it, it, like government should control people with, with lack of information and they do it very well here. So that's why they're censoring all the websites and all of that. Yeah. Right. Um, Stackmore, how about you in Turkey in terms of uh, what's been happening in the last few years economically with the currency and what people are, or how, how people have responded, how, the, how much they're aware of what's going on and what they've been trying to do to, to protect themselves or evade uh, controls? Yeah, like first of all, I think when you think about it, none of our uh, unit of account is our local currency. It's like we usually think in terms of dollars, you know, like all of us, when we talked about it, we don't care if we have more local currency uh, compared to a couple years ago, but if we have more dollars compared to a couple years ago, I think that's like a big tell on the situation. So I posted on the, under the, your tweet uh, how I track my inflation. So normally people like track the inflation or they listen to the government data. And for my case, or I know a lot of people also would agree with this. I don't trust the government data about inflation. Uh, and I'm really a little lazy to do my own inflation tracker, you know, because there are a lot of variables and all that stuff. But when I withdraw money and I, if I see a lot of new money, uh, freshly printed money, I know that the Turkish lira will collapse and it never misses, you know. 
So it's like economy is actually real simple. Like it's not real complicated. If you have a lot of new money, uh, the value of your money will shrink basically. And we get more and more new money recently. So in 2008, uh, Turkey had reserves around, gold reserves included. We had $95 billion uh, worth of foreign exchange reserves. And in 2018, I had written that uh, by 2020, Turkey would have less reserves than Harvard and Yale endowments combined. And we have less reserves than two schools, basically, right now as a country. Wow. Because uh, right now the reserves are, I, I don't know the exact number, it's under 75 billion. Plus, uh, it includes the swap deals. So we have a swap deal with Qatar, for example. So we send them $15 billion worth of Turkish lira, and then they send us $15 billion of Qatar dinar or whatever, which has, like, which doesn't really have a liquidity, you know? So it's just like, uh, it makes it look like you have the money as a foreign currency, but actually you don't have anything because you cannot liquidate it against euro or dollar or anything else. So that's the case. Uh, the reserves are melting, and the uh, so <laughs> the corrupt government started to do this. Um, they had they started doing mega projects. Like so, we have one of we have the biggest airport in the world right now, and it's done by these five companies. Uh, and the deal was like the government guarantees a set uh, a set number of uh, passengers a year, okay? And they pay the the owners of the uh, airport like uh, an amount times set number of passengers that they guarantee. And this is usually very screwed. Like it's really uh, more than that the airport would normally have. So they pay extra and nobody would really take this project because it's a huge project and like it's not like a free market to take the project because it's a I don't know, five billion dollar project for example and not a lot of companies outside of turkey would have the courage to take on a project like this with the current government so it's the it's chronic capitalism in play and certain people that take these projects and they get deals for 20 years and then they continually get paid. Now we have these city hospitals. Uh, so they also have guaranteed uh, patients like that the government guarantees to pay per person. And uh, so the budget was declared a couple weeks ago. And in the seven months, the amount of rent that was paid for these city hospitals were more than it would cost to build those hospitals, you know? So they are literally emptying the, the, yeah, the budget. And I don't think it's going to go, get better any, any better. So like today we had this announcement, uh, there is the personal retirement funds. So the retirement is social retirement fund in Turkey is collapsing like every other place. And the main reason of this was like this elections in 1980s. Uh, this guy who was running for the elections promised early retirement to people. So but, and it was not like a couple of years. It was like over 10 years of early retirement. 
So what this does is that you get a lot of extra retired people and like your workforce gets smaller to pay for the future uh, compensation of the social retirement system. Uh, so the social retirement system is collapsing and then they said, okay, we should have privatized retirement systems where you pay like the United States or whatever you like for a one case. And today they announced that they want to use the person retirement, uh, the money that's accumulated in the person retirement uh, for new projects and new investments to issue new bonds and all that stuff. So yeah, they will probably take another $22 billion worth of money from people. And yeah. <laughs> Basically confiscating retirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People have, like, the government literally has their eyes on people's retirement money because this government is not doing good and they are, like, uh, in power since 2002. This is, I think, their last years. And before they leave, they want to make sure that they leave a rake behind, I think, so. And so... How are people feeling about what's being done to the currency and what are they doing to try to protect themselves? Well, uh, like uh, Zia said, we burned the dollars. <laughs> so like in 2008, we had this crisis uh, with the United States. We had this guy, he's, he was a pastor and they claimed that a Turkish government claimed that he was an agent. So he was under custody. And Trump wanted him to be released, and the Turkish president is like, no, I'm not going to release him. Like, it, I need to be killed first before I release him, blah, blah, blah. And then Trump said, okay, I'll have some extra taxation on Turkish aluminum and steel. And two weeks later, the pastor was released. But in that two weeks, the Turkish lira jumped from uh, six Turkish lira was one dollar, then it became eight Turkish lira to one dollar in two weeks. And people were protesting the dollars by burning the dollars, basically. And the funnier one is like, <laughs> at some point we were protesting Netherlands and people, I'm not kidding, people were literally stabbing oranges. <laughs> this, this really happened, like, you know, like, because it's the symbol of Netherlands, the flag is orange. Uh, you know, so I know what if people want to protest Bitcoin in the future, they may also stab oranges or just keep uh, it in, you know. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's a joke. Like, a lot of people don't understand the numbers. Uh, yeah, there was this Turkish author called Aziz Nesin, and on TV, once he said 70% of the Turkish people are retarded. <laughs> and he's right. But it's not just Turkey, the, the world is like that, I think. But, right. you know, it's but not like, yeah. Are people, are people buying real estate, precious metals? Like how much interest is there in Bitcoin to try to preserve some of their capital oh. that's just being stolen all, all over the place? We are traditionally lucky because uh, we live in Mediterranean and like, you know, to Turkish, uh, around also Mesopotamia area, like also Zia also knows and like, you know, and it's one of the oldest uh, civilizations in the world. So for example, uh, there was this country back in the days called Lydia, uh, really actually close to the place that I live right now. And it was the first place to mint coins. 
metals, uh, gold coins. So the like gold coins were originated from here. And in this geography, we always had some love for gold, not because we understand it, but, but because it's more like a cultural slash traditional thing, you know? So mm -hmm. at uh, weddings or like circumcision ceremonies or this or that, you know, you get a gold gift, gift as a gold, you know? So that's a big advantage for a lot of people. They have some gold saved up. And real estate, it's also used as a store of value. And actually, the government uh, really subsidizes real estate. Like this year in June, uh, the credits uh, to buy new real estate were, done, were lowered to 6%, 6.9% by the government, where the inflation was 8.9% or something. So literally, uh, it would make sense for anyone to take that credit to buy a house, you know? So they really subsidized it. Uh, one reason of it was uh, a lot of crony capitalism happens with the real estate market because land is interesting, you know, land is worth, let's say, uh, $10 per meter square, but if it gets a building permit for a high rise, then the value of the land increases like 15 folds, 20 folds, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's the easiest way to funnel money into people. So, yeah. Uh, and also on top of that, uh, they didn't want the GDP uh, growth numbers to look so bad. So they wanted to stimulate the economy. And uh, giving cheap credit is the same thing as printing money, so. And so there's not much interest in Bitcoin. No, there's a there's a good amount, and I was coming to Bitcoin. There's a good oh, amount of in Bitcoin. Actually, uh, one of the first, the fourth uh, exchange in the world is a Turkish Bitcoin exchange that was established in 2013. And the owner is a real good maximalist. Like you know, uh, I saw a tweet the other day that the CEO of Binance was shilling uh, DeFi and all that coins, whereas the CEO of the Turkish exchange was like, don't buy DeFi, people will scam you. It's no different than a Ponzi and all that stuff, you know? So we are lucky in that sense. And they do a lot of uh, activities to raise awareness. Uh, like literally two weeks ago, they became the main sponsor of the Turkish national football team. So they do a fair, yeah, they do, take responsibility and they do, they are good actors. And now they have over 1 million members, oh. which is like, not bad, like one and a half percent of the population. So, and there's another exchange that's also like not doing bad. So it's getting more popular. Unfortunately, Turkish people are born to FOMO. So, <laughs> Yeah, so people buy the tops and then they say, oh, okay, you know, like Bitcoin increases this much and sushi increases this much, so I should buy sushi and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. And but they get smarter over time, you know. What's the government's approach to Bitcoin? I think, I mean, there's like, it's all a big gray zone, let's say. There's nothing real strict about it. 
they were working on, the government was working on a gold-backed uh, coin a couple years ago. I don't know how it's going right now. I was also like, mash, like people also mentioned who were working in the project. We had a discussion with them and all that stuff. But I don't know, I didn't follow up. I don't know how it is going, but uh, so this is, this is my personal view. Uh, a corrupt government would like to keep uh, Bitcoin open for their own sake, you know? Interesting. Because, you know, one day they may need to transfer money somewhere. Right, or, right. You know? <laughs> they may and need to use maybe, it like everybody else is using it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, Bitcoin like, is always there when you're like, in, in a hard time. So, it's like fiscal paralyzing in the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I want to ask a little bit. You know, especially in in uh, like North America, in the U.S. market, people follow what the Fed does very closely, and they're looking at you know all the activities. And there's a lot of fear that you know you could say, well, since 1971, but especially over the last 10 years, the um, all the the kind of dynamic that you have all described in a acute detail and time frame over the last number of years in your respective countries has also been playing out there, but perhaps to a lesser degree. And one of the, the results of this monetary policy and this treatment of money has been a broadening uh, inequality, uh, economic and financial inequality, because a lot of that money goes to asset prices as people try to preserve their capital, real estate and precious metals and whatever else. And this prices a lot of people out of those markets. And so they're forced to hold on to that money uh, that is not holding its value. And then so their financial situation worsens all the more quickly. And I think this is part of the reason why we see, you know, unrest of various kinds and social issues. Um, and then, you know, we also watch closely um, what's happening to pricing because, you know, if prices go up, this, this, the effect is the same. People get priced out of, you know, their groceries, you know, what, uh, what used to buy them, how, you know, what food for five, buy some food for four, food for three, and, and everything becomes more expensive. And uh, this can be a spiral, right? And the more the government steps in to try to stop this process from happening because people are complaining about it, the worse they make it. And so I'm just wondering, because over the last few years, uh, each of your respective countries have been dealing with acute forms of this kind of monetary um, degradation, what has been the effect on uh, prices, on food, on, you know, inequality generally in, in the respective markets? Thomas? Um, yeah, it's a, that's a good point. Um, here in Lebanon, uh, you know, as I said earlier, many of the essentials, you know, the fuel, uh, wheat, all of that, it's all just subsidized. So basically, um, at a certain point uh, during the, remember when the oil prices were going down during the beginning of the pandemic, uh, you know, the price of one barrel of oil uh, here in Lebanon was uh, cheaper than the one in Saudi Arabia, which is the biggest uh, oil producer in, in the world. Uh, that's basically because um, the government has been subsidizing this, uh, this industry. And what was happening is that um, because these, the, the oil in specific was being subsidized, uh, a lot of it was being uh, smuggled into Syria. 
you know, because Syria, there's a lot of sanctions on it from the United States and Europe and whatever. Uh, they struggle to actually get oil. So what, what's happening is that we are getting them the, the oil at a very cheap subsidized prices. And uh, the traders of oil here in Lebanon, they're sending them to Syria and, you know, selling them for much higher prices. So that's, uh, that's one of the uh, negative subsidies. But that's basically, uh, if you want to look at the essentials, they increased in prices, but not as much as the inflation has been increasing. Uh, probably because of the subsidies, that's, that's first. And second, because of the deflationary nature of, uh, of these goods. Uh, you know, when, you, when let's say, uh, one kilogram of uh, meat, okay, you used to buy one kilogram for $10, let's say, and that used to be for 15,000 Lebanese pounds. Uh, now, after the inflation, you can get it for 50,000 LBPs, but that's like $8, $7, you know what I mean? So uh, it didn't increase as this, this with the same level of the hyperinflation, mainly because, you know, uh, when you have a competitive market and, you know, people still, still trying to compete on the prices, they, they try to lower the prices as much as they can. Uh, but there's this aspect of things. And the other aspect is the, basically the subsidies uh, where the government is just using the reserves and you know the confiscated money to uh, subsidize so-called essentials. Right. But if you want to buy, let's say, um, as uh, as Zia was saying, they want to buy an iPhone. That's impossible. They want to buy a laptop. That's impossible. Every you know technology or imported good, uh, other than you know nutritional good, it's, it became impossible. Uh, you want to travel. That's that's very hard to do. Uh, you want to, I don't know, uh, go. You want go. to exit. Yeah, you want to exit. If opting out this has become very, very difficult, you know, uh, many of my friends who are young people, just like I am, have been trying to, you know, flee the country, maybe go do, uh, go to university somewhere else, try to get a job in Europe and in, in the North America. Uh, but even that is very hard because. How can you afford uh, airline tickets, especially now with the pandemic? Uh, the government imposed a stricter monopoly on these airlines, the Middle East, Middle East Airlines, which is the Lebanese national airline. So now, uh, last year, I went to, I went to France, uh, and it cost me with a French, I think, not, I think it was a, not French, it was uh, a Romanian company airline, like $200 to go and come back. Right now, using the national airline, which uh, they, they are national, they gave it a strict monopoly because of, uh, you know, we have a pandemic. Uh, you have to pay just to go to Paris $2,000, which is, which is crazy with the hyperinflation with all of that. Uh, yeah, so, so that, that's that. And I also, also heard uh, some, some stuff that um, if you present uh, your travel documents and uh, that you're traveling for, you know, educational purposes or whatever, uh, they can subsidize your travel. Uh, but I'm not sure how much that's working. Uh, I've never heard anyone doing it, actually. But, but we've heard about that on the news. Uh, so, yeah, the, 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 main, the main strategy of the government is trying to subsidize and, you know, kicking the can even further. And now, uh, I don't know if you guys heard about, uh, you know, Macron the French, uh, the French uh, president, 
he came to Lebanon and he has some plans to, you know, bail out the government. He's, uh, he's giving them an ultimatum. You have to um, do some reforms, uh, change, uh, change the faces of the people in government, and we will give you more money. You know, we will, we will bail you out, uh, you know, keep the camp further, subsidize more, and not allowing people to, you know, to kick off from the start. Uh, that's, that's the main issue. I mean, I, I believe, you know, the protest started in October 18. I wish, I wish uh, if the government had vanished in, 2000, in October 2019, uh, maybe the problem, the crisis would have been like two months and people would have recovered and we would have been living, you know, we're in way better off right now. I mean, it's almost a year and we're, we, we, haven't, we haven't taken off yet. They're not allowing us to take off. Yeah. We are not allowed to exit, you know, as, 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 as already mentioned. That's, that's the main issue. We need, we need ways to opt out and are unable to do so. Yeah, it's this constant problem where all these interventions and all these abuses mean that the market in these, in these closed off economies becomes more and more sparse, like there's less and less good and services that people can access, either because they're not coming in the country or they can't be afforded. And then it right. makes it so that those people naturally want to exit more because the situation is worse and worse and worse. And as a result of them wanting to exit more, they are restricted from doing so even more because the government exactly. realizes so many more people are wanting to exit. We've got to stop this. And you just, you're in this virtuous downward cycle of things getting worse and the crackdown being more, you know, total, more complete until something breaks, you know, until there's upret, uh, unrest, until exactly. the change in government, until there's hopefully you know, change in the money. Yeah. yeah. The, you know, the, the problem is, uh, uh, what I wanted to say is that, well, the the main issue is that we are we are not uh, we're not being able to. I mean, let's say uh, uh, you have you have a person, you have uh, like someone who's living in poverty. Would you rather give them a fish or teach them how to fish? Right. So if they allow us to go and fish, we're way better off. We don't need subsidies. Right. Where you know, as a Lebanese person, you know, uh, we we've been we've been doing way better. We've been doing great without any of the uh, government, uh, you know, social welfare and all that stuff. We've been doing well, we've been doing fine. And, you know, whenever uh, it was back in 2017, when uh, the newly elected government decided to increase the wages of the government employees, uh, you know, in a very uh, uncalculated manner, uh, ever since 2017, we've been going through this downhill. No one is investing anything. Um, money is being poured, uh, poured to the public sector without any efficiency. And whenever uh, new elections come in, they just hire new uh, public employees. So that's, that's the Lebanese version of you know, Commonwealth. We, we are somewhere around 4,500 million uh, in population. We have around 400,000 people working in the public sector. That's, yeah. that's, that's crazy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's the main issue. And you know, that's, this is something that I've been talking about quite a bit, but that's inevitable, right? And, and if you look at Canada, I mean, all the things that you all are saying, I'm seeing the exact same things here, just at an at a, at a earlier point in the timeline. And as, exactly. the, as a response to, let's say, COVID, for example, where everyone is prohibited from making a living, you can't open your restaurant, you can't go to work, 
then a lot exactly. of those jobs are going to disappear. A lot of those small businesses are going to close down. And then what those people are going to do when they're looking for a job in the future, when they run out of their paychecks that the government is providing them, they're going to say, well, why don't I just go work for the government? My job is secure. I get benefits. Exactly. I get healthcare. I get kind of stuff. And then you get a whole economy that's work that it's people working for the government and no value or wealth is being created. It's just being exactly. redistributed. And that is just a downward spiral until everybody works for the government and where's the wealth being created? Nowhere. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's, a, there's like this trend here in Lebanon. I failed, I failed school, I failed university. Uh, maybe I'll just go to the military. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's like the trend we have here. Yeah. We have like a lot, of, a, lot of military, a lot of people in the army, but we never get into any wars. Yeah. You know, like you say the, the U.S. Army, they go to Iraq and get some uh, oil and get some revenue back. But what are we doing with our army? We're not getting any revenue with our army. <laughs> you know? and, right. and we also have militia uh, in opposite to, to our army. So we have a really big army. But for some reason, we also need the militia to protect us against that. Right. So that, that's crazy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, how has everything that's been going on affected quality of life in Argentina? Uh, it's it's very similar. Uh, we we're, we're having a lot of price control, uh, a lot of subsidies. Everything you guys are talking, I'm, I'm seeing the, all the similarities. And uh, what 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 we, we what we detect is when there's food here is really subsidized, and people start really to trying to arbitrage. Uh, Common, common goods. And, uh, our neighbor countries like uh, Uruguay and and uh, and Paraguay, they know that uh, prices here are subsidized, so they cross the the, the frontier, fill up the, the their cars with gas, make buy all the groceries they can, and go back to their country because like market tries to, to find its way also right. in some sense. And uh, what happened, what's happening here in Argentina with, with in terms of the quarantine, first that we have been quarantined since March. It's the, it's the longest quarantine in the world. And uh, people are, are really uh, being in prohibited, trying to, to, to work and make their living. There, there have been restrictions that doesn't make any sense anymore and what we see here like in, like Thomas was saying in Lebanon it's more and more people want to work for the government and it's it's a downward spiral because you know, goods goods are not being produced and it's it, it, it gets to a point that it's going to break we don't know when but it's going to break Zia, how about you? What, uh, what, how has quality of life been impacted by everything that's been going on, you know, uh, with uh, the money? Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a storm here. <laughs> so people wake up one day and they see they go, they're going bankrupt because of something like with the, the USD price and the inflation. So I, I know a lot of people who abandon their businesses and all of that. So I saw, so, I heard Thomas and Daniel uh, Daniel talking about uh, how people want to work for the government because, like, they see failure. Because, but here uh, it's 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 not like that. It's it's mostly 
actually it is taught to the people it is taught to their like people teach it to their children they convey this they per uh, persuade them to uh start working with the government like uh we like most people uh, like even my family they wanted me to work with, for the education system here and all that but we have a lot of oil money nowadays it's a lot of oil which can be sold but uh, we have a lot of oil money we, we don't have businesses because businesses are going bankrupt uh, especially in the last decade or so so th this this thing is like uh, it's 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 somehow working but until it doesn't, it's one day, it's, it's not going to work. It's like with the sanctions on the oil and with the sanction on doing business with Iran, this, this thing, uh, this, this actually cut off the hands of the government to be able to provide because uh, it's, it's very easy. You have natural resources, you sell them, you get money, and somehow you use them to do like a lot of unspeakable things also in the region but also uh, to somehow finance the uh, the uh, the government businesses here in Iran we ha we also have a, a very big number of people who work for the government and i told you that this is somehow an attitude here it's it's somehow it's a lifestyle here a lot of people love the this rich. idea yeah, yeah. The, the rich are the ones that work for the government yeah, definitely, because you you see most most of the time you see most of the time they 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 actually there there are even people we we have uh, universities here which are actually sponsored by the government and very cheap to attend they they don't take any money from you and the the are these are the these are the so called high quality ones and we see that they they built something out of this but it's not working at the university systems is a failure right now uh, maybe it was it was much better like a decade or two decades ago but this policies uh, took us to the ground because we need businesses to do to be able to work with the, with the world and and government cannot dictate new ideas cannot dictate new industries they cannot dictate all of this they cannot plan for it this this kind of planning is is a failure all over the world so most countries in the world understand this and they 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 want people to be able to build build new businesses build new ideas to work with the world and make the country stronger but here it's, it's like we need to be on our own and we need to be on our with because because of this because they they are actually very rich on resources if we didn't have all of these resources they wouldn't have thought about this because they wouldn't have been able to afford it so this uh thing i, I don't know if it's if it's the main thing but i know that it trickles down to this it, it helps with this uh with the situation of inflation but, yeah a, a closed economy cannot work because you know what i mean yeah mm -hmm. yeah Totally. Stackmore, how has uh, quality of life been affected by what's been going on in Turkey? Yeah, so, like, this is, um, for example, uh, yeah, first of all, I want to start with this classic uh, frog experiment. Probably all of you have heard it. If you uh, throw a frog into boiling water, it jumps out. 
you know what, if you keep the frog inside the bowl and then heat it slowly, it dies inside. You know, doesn't realize that it's getting too hot for it. By the way, this is not an actual true experiment, but it has been told so for a very long time. And I was very surprised when I heard it wasn't. So <laughs> literally, uh, I know, like we have, we, like I'm me, Thomas, Daniel, and Zia have lessons to be learned for you guys. And I really appreciate, uh, I know you, for example, that you are aware of the devastating effects of inflation, even with, as the small amount of it you have, you know? Uh, for us, it's easy. Like, you know, you go out, you see that the prices are different all of a sudden, you know? Like, for example, right now, if you want to say you want to buy a two liter Volkswagen Passat car, you pay one unit for the actual cost of the car and 2.2 units to the government. So you buy 3.2 cars and give 2.2 of it to the government as a tax. You know, it's simple things like that. But uh, with the te Turkish they're collapsing and people spending less, for example, like Nike uh, had its uh, Middle East and Africa office in Istanbul. And with the revenues going down, they moved away to Dubai. Or like Apple also had a big bigger office in Istanbul. They also moved to Dubai. And a lot of multinational companies moved their middle MENA offices from uh, Istanbul to other places. So this took high paying jobs and a lot of people transferred to the other offices. So this also brought the quality of people down, you know, like higher educated, uh, more skilled people also left the country. And uh, uh, once you cannot ge generate high value, uh, it becomes like uh, you make people start making money of information asymmetries and like how close they are to the government and like the whole value chain of the country gets damaged. So I think that's like one of the main things here, you know, also like similarly, for example, California is losing a lot of people now uh, because of taxation. Mm -hmm. Like people started to move to Texas and all other states. And this brings the overall quality of the place down, you know. Because yeah, this is um, actually leads into my, uh, my last question for you guys. And it is, you know, we talk a lot about citadels in the Bitcoin space, right? And whether you think of a citadel as you know, like a mountaintop fortress with high walls and, a, you know, just great, like kind of like a Camelot right inside and then everything else outside of shit. Or if you think of Citadel as a more personal thing, like a, uh, an independently living off grid home somewhere far away from cities where you have everything you need, energy, food, whatever, like the, the, the idea of a Citadel is like a, a, a safe place where you are free to be and do what you want. And, um, you know, this was a half-joking meme a couple of years, you know, a little while ago, not too long ago. And with COVID, it's become a far more serious consideration because Stackmore, as, as you were just mentioning, with the changes to taxation, the social unrest that accompanies these, um, this, uh, what's happening with money, um, it be the imperative to, to, you know, think to yourself, like, am I safe here? Can I live the life I want here? You know, uh, these these considerations we start to think about more 
and that's where you know the more the, the citadel meme has kind of gotten more press lately um but i think you are are as we keep saying in this conversation the countries that you guys are in right now are a little bit further ahead on the timeline of what we expect pretty much everywhere in the world and so i have to think that maybe these considerations have been on your mind um maybe earlier um, or taken more seriously than people, you know, let's say in the U.S., for example, might might be considering them right now. And so my question to uh, you guys is, you know, what are you afraid uh, for the, the the quality of life or even your your personal safety in the regions that you're currently living? And um, do you have plans to change your circumstance? Uh, to uh, increase your level of safety or freedom, either by, again, you know, moving to the countryside away from everybody and just hoping things, you know, calm down at some point, or actually trying to extricate yourselves from the current region and find, uh, you know, a region that's more suitable or, or has uh, more accommodative uh, individual policy, you know, kind of like the sovereign individual thesis, um, you know, have any of you guys gotten to the point of seriously considering that or planning or just like to get your insights on on that uh, idea of, you know, maybe not being able to stay uh, where you are currently? Thomas? Yeah, uh, John, as you can see, I am right now in my apartment in Beirut. And I can tell you that this is the first time I'm here since the start of the you know, lockdown in February. Uh, you know, ever since this lockdown started, I, I you know, took everything and I went to my village house in the, in the countryside. It's, it's basically where, you know, my parents' house. Uh, and I've been staying there uh, because, you know, living here in Beirut has been, you know, it's fine. It's not like the worst, but uh, I think this is better for me, you know, to live somewhere, better weather and no pollution. Uh, no one can rob you, uh, just, you know, living alone. And, you know, for me, the citadel is, you know, the second option, you know, being a supreme person, uh, being safe, uh, you know, opting out, trying to make money on my own, on my own, on my own terms. So you can say I've been living the semi-citadel life, and I've been trying, you know, as hard as I can, as much as, much as I can, you know, to come up with, you know, ways to make money. It's not that easy here. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, lately, uh, I have, me and my dad have been working on a small land I have uh, also in my village. Uh, I've been, you know, setting it up and, you know, I've, I have this, like, like a plan, maybe, maybe uh, after the next uh, bull run, uh, <laughs> to build a small cabin house and, you know, try to homestead a little bit, uh, try to find ways. Because the way, you know, inflation is going, I think it's going to be much more costly for me to go to work than to actually work. You know, if, if my car breaks down, um, I'm not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to afford to, you know, fix it. If the subsidies on fuel uh, were suddenly vanished, I will not be able to, you know, fill my car. So uh, um, that's that's the issue. So ever since you can say January, February, I've been trying, to, you know, to come up with things and ways. And stacking sats as much as I can, you know, to exit uh, exit all this and you know try to you know build a better life, uh, you know, in my village. This is where I come from, and after all, and yeah, that's 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 the plan, basically. So no, even so, no uh, intention or desire to leave. You'd prefer to kind of do the countryside uh, thing. Uh, 
I mean, I, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I I love life here. I love the Mediterranean life and you know the the mountains. You know, my village is an altitude of one thousand one hundred meters. If any of you guys ever kind of visit Lebanon, I'll be happy to show you around this beautiful country. Uh, you know, if I ever get an opportunity maybe to leave and you know things become like very bad, maybe I will. I'm not gonna say I wouldn't, but you know, my first plan is to try to find something and do something here. Uh, while I still can, you know. Right. Zia, I think we lost Daniel. I'm not sure if he'll be back, but uh, Zia, what's your approach to the, the Citadel uh, considerations? Yeah, it's, it's, like, it's going to be a bit shocking to you. So, uh, prepare yourself. So, maybe there are millions of young males like me who don't have passports here in Iran. That's, uh, that's like... It's an it's it's a it's a very very big obstacle for us. It's uh, you can't leave the country. I've never set foot outside of Iran, and uh, I know that there are millions who are in the same situation. It's mostly due to this thing where you, they take you to military service for two years and they uh, ruin your life actually. So I'm not willing to do this, and I'm uh, protesting it, and I'm uh, by not going and doing it like denying this thing and uh, uh yeah so uh this thing stops me from leaving the country so it's a very <laughs> so you mean you mean if, if, if you don't do the military service they won't grant you a passport is that what you're saying yes it's okay. uh, if you don't do the military service you you are not a- able to get a something which is called uh i don't know what what could be called in english but it's something good it's like a license that you have the license which says that this license announces that you've done the military service and if you have this license now you can apply for passport here in iran right this is for males only uh, but i know that all people here in iran dealing with this because are dealing with this thing because either they have people in their family which are not able to leave the country or even or uh, either they are uh, like like they are dealing with poverty because it's the, the economic situation is very terrible here so uh, my first impression from a citadel is to leave the country and find a place find a place outside of Iran that i believe in leaving it i believe in their people and all of that but uh the thing is that you cannot leave so uh my uh so i decided uh recently i decided to build my whole uh income and uh actually if there's a business if i build a business i would build it around bitcoin and foreign income mostly uh anyway so uh a, a bitcoin business and a foreign income business uh inside iran so until that i find a way to circumvent this situation that i can so so that i can leave the country and if you build your business around bitcoin you're free to go anywhere in the world and do and carry on with your business this is one of the advantages of bitcoin so yes uh, this is the situation with uh, yeah yeah for me actually so for you the citadel idea is kind of uh, establishing a non-geographically determined form of income around bitcoin so that you have the freedom to leave when you're able to do so 
And in the interim period, you know, do you give any consideration to getting into rural areas and outside of urban areas, or is you know is that is that not of yeah, interest? Yeah, that's that's not that's not very possible too because real estate is it's it's so expensive, it's legendary expensive. You cannot buy real estate. Most people who have real estate in Iran have it from back in the days. Now people like. Uh, if you get paid very well here in Iran, very well, that means something like $1,000 actually. So if you get paid like this, you would need like to work decades to be able to afford something here in Iran. Wow. So everyone's forced to live in the cities is what you're saying? Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of people living in rural uh, areas, but it's like you cannot go to uh, buy it and build something because right. uh, this situ economic situation affects all people. Yeah. Uh, Stackmore, what are, you, uh, what are you looking at for Citadels? Well, I'm all in for Citadels. Like, I, I mean, okay, so we have a farm. Uh, our family business is agriculture. So we have cows, farms, fruit trees, next to the river. Sounds so lovely. Yeah, we can make our own fertilizer. Uh, we are we need to still work on seeds, but not that far away from self sovereignty. Like we we have some issues with electricity at the moment. We don't have our own, but yeah, could happen actually in a couple of years. And the funny thing is that where our farm is located. Uh, around the farm, we can we find ancient Greek columns. So there was a stadel once there, you know. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. And so and so for it's you, polis is this Greek cities something polis this that there was yeah. something. There. So for you, um, you know, leaving Turkey is is not really in your mind. Just establishing something in a rural area where you're self-sufficient with your own food and energy and have enough space uh, is is kind of what you're thinking about. Well, I lived outside Turkey for a while. I studied in Arizona. I lived in the states for five years. I study. I worked for a German company. Now they are owned by a Japanese company. So I've been to different places and. Really, like, uh, this is not me, my nationalistic side speaking. The city I live is one of the most livable places in the world. Like, maybe Barcelona, Barcelona I could move to, but the, the food is great here, the weather is great, we have nice beaches. Stackpole likes the Mediterranean life. Yeah, sounds, yeah, yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> really, though, like if you uh, live this lifestyle, you would yeah. understand. You know, I, I know what Th Thomas meant when he said, like, I don't want to live Mediterranean, you know? Mm. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's no place better. Food, weather, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's good, really. It's like, it's like the, mm, I yeah, say the. The hardware of this country is really good, like, you know, the atmosphere, the nature, this, that. The software part, the government part is messed up, and hopefully we'll eventually upgrade it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I'd go there just for the fresh figs every year when they come yeah, in season. Yeah. I fucking love those things. 
Yeah, you should come. Like I'm in Izmir and big place is called Aydın, the city next to us. So you tell me when the, when they're in season and I'll show up with a big bag next year. Um, I don't know if we got Daniel back. Daniel, are you there? Um, here, I, I had to cut video because I have internet problems. Sure, Connection sure. Problem. Um, so the, the question was just around uh, citadels, around what you're, you know, as things degrade with the money, as more social problems emerge, as governments become more authoritarian to try to uh, fix this stuff, do you have uh, ideas or thoughts on, um, you know, leaving Argentina or moving to the countryside or getting yourself in some way set up to uh, avoid the chaos that may be coming from, uh, from everything that's going on? Yeah, I believe uh, the internet is the most is the most free place we have right now in the world, and uh, I, my 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 biggest wish is is to to like like Sihan said is to try to to work uh, from the internet, get some income from Bitcoin, and uh, <clears throat> being being basically anywhere. Uh, I think that's that's that will be my 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 ideal citadel if if you if you if you say. Uh, and if you could do that, would you ideally stay in Argentina? That's the fiat internet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. Well, if he comes back, we'll we'll get him that. But, uh, gents, uh, I really appreciate you guys not only taking the time to have this discussion, but being so open uh, in sharing uh, your thoughts and what's going on in your countries and your lives. Um, I know some aspects of it must be very difficult, but I like I keep saying throughout this conversation, I think these are issues that we're all going to be facing at some point, and uh, to have your perspectives and. Uh, yeah, just for all of us to not only know, but also just to to connect and and know that uh, there's a camaraderie in how we're facing similar problems, and that's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is how it's bringing us all together over uh, a unified mission and a unified solution to a lot of this stuff. I mean, that's that's why I do this show. I just uh, it's a it's a ray, it's a big ray of hope uh, in a world that uh, definitely needs it. So um, I'm just going to go around the room. Any final thoughts uh, before we sign off or places you want to direct people that are listening? Anything like that, Thomas? Uh, okay, first of all, thank you, John. Uh, thank you guys for sharing everything. Um, if we have any Lebanese listeners right here, um, I encourage you to go on bitcoinjuliban.org. Uh, this is where our community is. You can have, if you have any questions, anything, you know, how to buy Bitcoin in Lebanon and how to secure a wallet and all of that stuff. That's your place. And uh, yeah, that's basically, that's all. And thank you guys again. Sweet. See ya. Yeah, thank you for having me in this show. So I uh, wanted to say that we need, uh, like uh, this, is, this is somehow an open message to most Bitcoin entrepreneurs, most Bitcoin uh, actors, act people who are active in the space who want to do Bitcoin businesses, I encourage you to 
increase your interest and invest in Bitcoin businesses and make them bigger. Because I see, I see the way for us, at least for us people here in Iran, is to, uh, to deal with Bitcoin business, to work with Bitcoin businesses. Like most people right now, most young people here in Iran need to work with uh, with uh, foreign foreign uh, countries, with foreign businesses, and use Bitcoin for their income because the economy here uh, is not is not uh, uh, helping them. So uh, I would love to see more Bitcoin businesses in this space. And uh, if anyone is interested in the Iranian communities, just ping me on Twitter or anything. We have a good Bitcoin community on Twitter, on Telegram mostly, and we will be very willing to help you understand the situation here in Iran. And if you want to help help us or work with us, uh, we would be very glad. Awesome. Stackmore? Yeah, like, thanks for hosting us. Uh, even though, like, we share a lot of similarities, I don't think we have communicated between each other on this level as well. So it was also... Uh, good to have this communication so yeah like i always encourage people to get into bitcoin i uh, give them a lot of resources but now i know i think it's better for them to buy some start with buying stuff and then they can do whatever they want they can get wrecked in altcoins and then you know eventually if they understand they'll come back to bitcoin side again so i like uh, uh, and but I really want the Turkish exchanges to start the DCA options. Mm. I also talked to them about this. Hopefully, we'll see it someday soon. Because then, uh, like you know, we are a, we have a weakness against FOMO, and DCA would could kind of fix that. So I hope we see it more in action. Yeah, I, mean, I hope all exchanges uh, put you know develop that because it's such a better solution for for stacking than, than being really susceptible simple. to fomo it's what it's very simple for them to integrate that right like right. not a big deal at all they already have the kycs and this the that deals with the banks yeah so um daniel uh, i think you just came back we uh, we're just gotcha. doing kind of final uh, final thoughts uh, and you're the last one so you came back just in time uh, for for closing remarks for for a roundup uh, as as i was saying about the citadel uh, argentina has been going through this process for more than 70 years it's they try to be a common commonwealth state but they don't have the the, the sufficient organization to do it and it's it's a process that it's been going on for a very very long while, and and as 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 me, I, I think that the most asymmetric bet that I have to improve my life and my financial situation is is Bitcoin and and the internet basically. It's it's a window outside of of, of what happens here, so I think. Uh, we're just, we're just gonna keep a dollar cost average in stacking sets. <laughs> that's that's what that's what's left for us to do. Totally. And, and, well, and go ahead. No, no, uh, just just that. And 
I think Bitcoin is the most asymmetrical bet I have right now in my current situation. Mm. And it, I would be stupid not to participate in it because I think uh, it has too much potential. I couldn't agree more. Uh, well, gentlemen, like I said, thank you so much for the time. Thank you for being open and uh, thank you for being uh, some of the awesome Bitcoiners that are spread out all throughout the world. This is uh, literally the revolution in action and uh, we're, we're all a part of it and uh, it only keeps going from here. So uh, I really appreciate you guys, uh, your input, and uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Bye, so everyone. Thanks, guys. Let's go. Oh, 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 let's go